0: That and make sure all of your information is correct. That way we didn't misspell anything or get a number wrong. Just peruse that, and make sure all your information is correct. Or picture. And if you want a picture, um, if your information isn't correct, you can email Dee. Dee, could you raise your hand? And I believe her email information is down there. Oh, she's good. She's good. <laughs> and if you want your picture, also please contact her. And uh, we'll get that correct, so we have a bullet, we have a, a physical hard copy phone book for you kids. That was something we used to have way back in the day. They were made from stone and we carved on it, no, <laughs> all right. Um, Robert has a couple items if you'd like them, uh, a king mattress, brand new. If you want a king mattress, brand new, never used, or an air hockey table. I'm kind of thinking air hockey table over mattress, but that's just me. Uh, see, Robert, Robert, if you raise your hand, those are free. You can arrange to come get them from him. All right, March 12th at 1 p.m., we're going to have a memorial here at the church for Marcus. A lot of you remember Marcus, and um, the memorial here is going to be March 12th at 1 p.m., and there will be a uh, fellowship afterwards with food and, and such. So, And if you'd like to help out with that, please come contact me or Kai. Great, and if you uh, want to help set up or do anything like that, just come back. Just come, come see me, or see Kathy, and uh, she can let you know. I can let you know. All right, um, ladies' life group Thursday six thirty, and the subject is. As they bring their own? Oh, that's right, ladies. You're going to bring your own subject. Don't forget to do your homework. Bring your own subject to discuss with the ladies. All right, and have some good fellowship and iron sharpening iron. All right. All right, that is it for our announcements. Don't forget all other functions and announcements. There's a lot more, but there are routine ones. They're in the bulletin. If you didn't get a bulletin when you came in, they're back there on the table, so don't forget that. Uh, prayer requests. Let's go right to prayer requests. Kelly's dad, Marcus, uh, his, his uh, home that he's in has been closed due to COVID, and Kelly's not can't contact him on the phone or anything, so he's just kind of by there by himself. So keep Marcus in your prayers. Please keep him in your prayers, and keep Kelly in your prayers also. Also, uh, Mary's going into the chiropractor this Monday for her arm, so keep her in your prayers. And uh, pray for Chris. Obviously, he's not here. Uh, pray for my son, Chris, to come back and get well and lead worship once again. Amen. And, amen. amen. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> i do too all right and uh praise the lord alan and cora are here with us today and they're back so amen we definitely miss them so praise god so continue to pray for them and uh continue to keep them in your prayers all right well that is it for our prayer request if you didn't get your prayer request up to me to get it announced here don't worry That little brown wooden box on the corner there, the smaller wooden box, that's for your prayer requests. You get those in, and then we'll get those prayers out and on the prayer chain, and we'll get them out to the whole family so we can all pray for each other throughout the week because that's what families do. Amen. Will you bow your heads? Dearly Father, Lord, we thank you and we exalt you. And Father, we just, once again, Lord, we are grateful that we are so blessed we are blessed with with salvation, we are blessed with the Holy indwelling Holy Spirit, and we are blessed because we serve a great God. And Father, we are blessed because of the salvation and the redemption that Jesus has done and has paid for us, that we can come before your throne, Lord, and we can bring these requests, bring our prayers before you, and lay them at your feet. And Father, we just lift up uh, Kelly's dad, Marcus, and Father, we just ask that you would uh, just be with him, Lord, strengthen him encourage him. I pray, Lord, that uh, if there's other Christians in that home, that somehow, some way, they could uh, have fellowship with him or encourage him. And Father, I just pray that you would uh, just touch his, touch his spirit, Lord, and lift him up. And Father, be with Kelly as he's going through this time not being able to talk to his dad, that you would just give him strength, Lord God. And Father, we pray for Mary that you would uh, guide this chiropractor and uh, Uh, properly adjusting her arm and back and whatever is affecting her arm and father we pray that you would heal that and lord we pray for chris that you would uh whatever this is a cold or covid or we we don't know he's just having symptoms and we just pray that you would uh heal him and he get the rest he needs today and tomorrow and father that you would just restore him back to back to health and father we thank you so much that alan and cora are here healthy and strong and father we're so glad that you brought them back here in fellowship with us, and Father, we ask that you would continue to watch over and guard them, and Father, continue to, to heal them, and Father, we're just, we're so blessed, Lord, thank you, and Father, we lift up again the sermon, we lift up our pastor, and Father, we ask that you would anoint him, like we've asked previously, that you would anoint him with your spirit, Lord. We ask, Lord God, that your word would go out, Lord, unhindered, that, um, that you would cancel out the man. Lord God, in your word, by your spirit, would go out and through and touch all of us here. Father, we ask that your word would impact us all. Father, we ask that your word would change us all, that we would not be settling for yesterday's victories. Those are yesterday's. Father, move us on to higher ground, we pray. As As we relinquish ourselves to the Holy Spirit, Lord God, move us on to higher ground. Father, we thank you. Bless this time. Anoint this place. Anoint our pastor. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Pastorville.
1: Okay, we're back in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 12 to 30. Hopefully I'll be able to uh, finish the chapter today, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 30. And as you turn there, we'll go to the Lord in prayer once again that he anoints the, uh, the preaching of the word. Father, in Jesus' precious name, you've given us your perfect word, totally without error, Uh, But then you've called imperfect people like myself to proclaim your perfect word. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, you would cancel the man, that you would fill me with your spirit and anoint me with your spirit to proclaim your truth so that I would not lead anyone astray. I pray that you give everyone here, Lord, the courage to test what they hear from this pulpit, and what they hear and what they see throughout the week, to test all things with your word. For your word is the final authority for our beliefs and our behavior, not any man. And so uh, we claim no infallibility for anyone uh, but the Lord Jesus, and uh, no infallibility or inerrancy uh, but for your word. Your word is totally true. I pray that uh, you'd open hearts and minds, including my own, to receive truth from your word, no matter how convicting it may be. And I pray that you empower us by the Holy Spirit to apply these truths to our lives uh, for your glory so that we could live for you lives of obedience, lives of humble service, until that day when your son, the Lord Jesus, takes his stand. Upon the earth, we love you, Lord, but please help us to love you more. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Philippians chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 12 to 30. There's an introduction. Remember the first 11 verses of Philippians. Paul commanded us, he commands the Philippians, but he commands us as well. To be united in Christ. And again, God is not this uh, big unity freak that he just all he cares about is unity. Um, you can unite with, uh, you know, I know some people that they could unite with anybody because they don't stand for anything. So if they're around a Buddhist, then they become a Buddhist. They're like chameleons, you know? And then if they're around Christians, they act like they're Christians and all. Um, But God wants unity in truth, unity in Christ, unity in that which is right and that which is true. And so Paul commands us to be united in Christ. Are we united as a church? Um, You know, that's something we've got to go before the Lord on. I think we have some pretty tremendous unity here, but I'm sure God wants us even more united and looking after one another and when When one is hurting, we all hurt. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. You know, Paul says, uh, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So we need to be united in Christ. Well, to do that, Paul says, you got to be humble. You got to put others' needs before your own. And then what he does is he gives us the perfect example of humble service, and that's Jesus. Jesus. And he talked about how Jesus, even though he continues to exist as God, the second person of the Trinity, he chose, voluntarily chose to become one of us and humbled himself, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And he did that for our needs. He wasn't putting his needs first. You know, once you know God has no needs, but once God the Son adds a human nature, he has needs for food and water and comfort and shelter, just like we do. But he chose to put his needs on the shelf and to suffer and die, even the most shameful way and most uh, painful way possible, death by crucifixion. So Paul uh, gives us Jesus as the perfect example of humble service. And remember, Jesus humbled himself, and then God the Father exalted him, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They're not in opposition. Okay, the three persons of the Trinity um, work hand in hand. And um, so... um, so he gives us, Jesus as that perfect example. So if we're James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will exalt you. So it's our job to humble ourselves, not exalt ourselves, but to humble ourselves. I mean, if I'm doing a good job, and some days I think I am, some days I think I'm not, if I'm doing a good job, you know, people ought to be able to say, now that guy there behind a the pulpit is uh, one of the most humble servants we have in this church. Okay. Um, it shouldn't be oh he's a he's a holy man he's a pastor he's the boss when he says to do something you do it it shouldn't be that way this is not power leadership this is servant leadership and so like the lord jesus who washed the disciples feet i'm supposed to lead uh, the, the flock by serving the flock you're supposed to lead those in your ministry By serving others. So, if we're going to have unity, we've got to have one mind, the mind of Christ, and we have to join together in humble service and place the needs of others before our own. So, that's what Paul told us in Philippians 2 1 to 11. Now, he's going to tell us to be obedient and humble servants, and he's going to tell us how to be obedient, and humble servants. So look at verse 12. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, he, he calls the saints, you know, he planted this church. He loves them. They're his beloved. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So first he tells us, you know, if you're going to be an obedient, humble servant, you've got to obey the Lord even when no one's watching you. Paul says, man, you, you guys, you Philippians really obey the Lord when I'm in town. But I want you to also obey the Lord when I'm away, preaching miles away. Okay? How many of us are really, really good workers when the boss is watching? When the human boss goes somewhere else, you know, then maybe all of a sudden, instead of giving a hundred percent, maybe we give thirty-five percent, forty percent. Let me, I'll t- be tell you something though. If you, you could be a humble, obedient servant only when somebody's watching you. Just remember, there's three persons always watching you: the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, so. When you feel like man nobody's watching me right now, you are wrong. I got after I got saved, I think back even to when I was a skeptic about God's existence. And I had to be on, I had to be honest with myself. I knew I was being observed. When I was having a bad day and no one else was in the house back in Jersey, I just started screaming out. And I felt better after screaming out. And I don't think it was a psychological thing. I think deep down inside I knew someone was listening. Someone was watching. And uh, so Paul says, hey, look, even when no earthly person is watching, you obey the Lord. Even when Paul's not in town, even when your spiritual leader's not in town. I hope there's nobody here that, you know, we all have our issues, okay? But I hope there's nobody here that's got this incredibly foul mouth, except when Pastor Phil or Pastor John or Pastor Willis or Pastor Pat are around. <laughs> then all of a sudden they clean and clean up their, their language and stuff like that. And um, no, and, and, it's, and, and be totally honest with you, who cares about Pastor Phil? The Lord is watching. We serve the Lord. Amen. So, you know, that's why Paul could say in Colossians, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord, rather than for men. So if you're a Christian, your boss is always watching. And so you always be a godly person. Okay? And so first, you want to be an obedient, humble servant? Obey the Lord, even when no one is watching. And then he says, that last half of verse 12 and verse 13, something really interesting Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So we're told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Okay? Um, We've got a good emphasis right now In the evangelical church in America recognizing that God loves us and he does that's biblical truth that Jesus loves me that I could fall today and Jesus still loves me okay and um, uh, my friends can abandon me Jesus isn't going to abandon me so we're doing really good on Jesus loves me part God loves me okay But we're not doing so well on the fear and trembling. Okay? Um, Sometimes we're singing praise songs and, you know, we're texting somebody or whatever as if, uh, you know, I mean, when when Moses went on the mountaintop to be in the presence of God, God told him Take off your shoes, Moses. You're standing on holy ground. When we praise God in song, we're standing on holy ground. When we hear the word of God preached, we're standing on holy ground. When a guy like me preaches the word, when a guy or a gal like you shares the word, you know, it's time to take our shoes off. I'm not saying literally take your shoes off. But you got to recognize when you're speaking on holy ground. And as you grow in the Lord, guess what you find out? All ground is holy ground. All ground belongs to him. Okay? And, um, and so we've got to understand, look, yes, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I don't see enough fear and trembling in the American church. It's like God's commands are optional, suggestions, okay? We need some of this fear. We need much more of this fear and trembling, Amen. okay? Um, why? Because it's God who's at work in you, the, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all at work in us. But we often you know, think, well, you know, I'm walking with Jesus. Yes, that's true, and Jesus loves me. But remind yourself... Jesus is still the God who created the universe. Tomorrow night I've got to speak to some young people at at Thrive and um, people in their 20s and all and the message that I've got to uh, preach on is in Colossians 1. It talks about Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. Okay? It talks about Uh, Jesus being the creator of everything, both the visible and invisible, because some of the Colossians were actually worshiping angels. And Paul's like, what are you talking about? Jesus created everything in heaven and on earth. Okay? There's people being fooled by UFO space brothers that are manifesting themselves physically and acting, demoting Jesus to one of the space brothers. And the space brothers made us, and we're going to blow this planet up unless we start worshiping the space bus. Well, look, any you know, John tells us, test the spirits, cuz they're not all from God. Whenever you get a messenger, you test the messenger by that message, okay? And if the message does not give worship and glory to Jesus, that's a false message. And so we, we got to remember, yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus indwells you. But Jesus is still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen. He is the God of Peter, Paul, and John. He is your creator. If he doesn't will you to continue to exist, you'd go out of existence immediately. It's, a, it's as if you're standing at the uh uh, on the top of a cliff and you take one step off or you, you step off with both feet and you're just hanging there that's the we're just hanging in existence what's what's holding us in existence it's jesus our creator is also uh our sustainer and uh and so we we got to gotta remind ourselves there's got to be a certain amount of fear and trembling. Now, John's later on going to say in 1 John that eventually perfect love casts out all fear, and there's no fear and judgment, okay? I don't know about you, but I'm not there yet, okay? Every time I think, okay, yeah, I'm perfect in love, God throws somebody in my life who starts pushing all my buttons, Okay? And I find, okay, I'm not there. So there's got to be that fear and trembling. Um, you know, if some big wig politician walked in the room or some famous celebrity, you'd probably get nervous and get sweaty palms. Okay? Yet, we're like totally comfortable with Jesus. There's got to be that healthy fear and trembling. Now, notice, Notice not just what's being said, but what's not being said. That second part of verse 12 does not say, work for your own salvation with fear and trembling. We don't work for salvation. You know, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, for by grace, it's a free gift, it's God's charity, for by grace you have been saved, through faith, okay, okay, not of works, it's a gift of God, okay? For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. And then in verse 10, Paul says, for we are his, God's workmanship, God's work of art, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. So Christians don't do good works to get saved, we do good works because we are saved. Good works are not the cause of salvation. Good works are the result of salvation. Okay? Um, you know, I like boxing. I got a few people here who have done a little boxing. And uh, I like boxing and all. But and there, and there, and a lot of times, you know, you get to that point where you think you're like this good. Okay? And so you step in the ring with a guy who's that good. And he starts whooping on you. And you realize, man, I should have stepped in the ring with a little bit of fear and trembling. I'm not as good as I thought I was. Okay? Um, We call ourselves Christians. We think, yeah, I'm this good as a boxer. We call ourselves Christians. We say we believe. Okay, just keep in mind, human beings are experts at self-deception. We deceive ourselves. It's easier for us to deceive ourselves than it is for us to deceive anybody else. Okay, every time you sin, it comes with a built-in excuse that you automatically embrace. And then if you're a godly man or woman, you say, Lord, forgive me. For justifying my sinful act, um, your spirit is telling me, "No, what I did is wrong." Okay, but what often happens? You do you get angry, you blow up at somebody, and then it comes with this excuse to say, "Yeah, it was righteous anger." God wanted me to get mad at that guy, and um, and then you have a difficult time convincing everybody else. Everybody else is like, "No, you blew your top. It was unjustified." Okay, but. Don't, what Paul is saying is this, don't play games with Jesus. Because Jesus loves you so, so much, that doesn't justify you demoting him to your buddy and the two of you just hang out and you're just casual about your walk with the Lord, okay? Uh, James makes it real clear that true saving faith will produce good works. Okay? Faith without works is dead. If you do believe, your life should be characterized by humble obedience to the Lord. Okay? And um, Paul tells the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13:5, "Examine yourselves to see if you're in Christ." Okay? So this idea that you can be a believer and a true believer who's born again and indwelt with the Holy Spirit and you still have a foul mouth, you get drunk all the time, you're getting high all the time, you treat people like trash, you rip off people, you cheat on your taxes and the list goes on and on and you're living just like you're immoral, you're living just like the world lives and you keep telling yourself you're a believer? You're not a believer. You're a liar. Okay? So, I mean, and this is what James, the half-brother Jesus, is saying. You can't tell me. You, you'll never convince me that you met my brother, and you personally know my big brother, if he hasn't changed your life. Okay? If you know Jesus, if you really are trusting in him for salvation, it will make changes in your life. Okay, now God does not the Holy Spirit does not give us the gift of judging, so don't be spying on others. Okay, and um, um, but you know, and you got to understand, some of us come from rough backgrounds before we got saved. Okay, so so please keep that in mind. That as um, we walk with the Lord, the, the key is that we're moving forward. In our walks, There's, you might meet some Christian brother or sister a little rough around the edges. Well, if you find out, have them share their testimony with you. Okay, I still after I got saved on the Marine Corps, I still had two years of a foul mouth. Now when I was around Christians, you know they'd say they used to call me Ferno. They say, "How you doing, Ferno? And I fine. And they'd probably thought, "Man, this guy's got us." slow trigger, you know? It takes him like, you know, 20 seconds just to answer easy questions. But what I was doing was I was rehearsing in my mind how I would normally respond being a Marine. Then I would delete all the curse words, practice it in my mind once or twice, the abridged version, and then I felt confident enough to say it, okay? And it wasn't even like I wanted to pretend to be holy. I didn't want to offend these these godly Christian people, okay? Now people, if, if people saw me at Bangor and saw me still cursing, you know, they probably thought, gee, is this guy even saved, okay? But the day I got saved, I stopped hitting people. I stopped stealing stuff. Um, I stopped, I'm ashamed to say, lending money to other Marines that are significantly high interest rate from one paycheck to the next. And um, so, um, you know, we're all in different places in this journey. But if we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, it's just like John and I always say, uh, yesterday's or last year's victories are this year's mediocrities. Amen. Okay? God wants to bring you to higher ground. And... um are you moving forward in the Lord? We can have setbacks. We can have tragedies in our life that rock our world and stuff. But over the long run, are we moving forward in our walk with the Lord? Are our lives characterized by the things that Jesus mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount? Okay, So there ought to be fear and trembling, not because you're working for your salvation. There ought to be fear and trembling saying, look, I'm, I, I'm indwelt by God. I claim to be a believer. Is God's work in my life evident? Because if it's not, you know, I mean, let, let's say you're a believer, but you're just sliming. Well, God disciplines his children because he loves them. So I don't know about you. If God's going to take me to the woodshed, there's going to be a lot of fear and trembling. Amen. But that's with a true believer, okay? But what if you find out? You examine yourself, you find out, you know, I'm, I'm just playing games. I'm not really trusting in Jesus for salvation. I haven't really acknowledged Jesus as my Lord. There's no evidence I'm even saved. Well, then you're fear and trembling, you ought to be afraid of the eternal flames of hell and get on your knees. I know that there's some Christian brothers who say you should never question your salvation. I'm of the school of thought that the Bible teaches each and every day, even though you're only born again once, but each and every day renew that that relationship with the Lord. Acknowledge to the Lord each and every day, Lord Jesus, I trust in you f- for salvation, and I trust in you and your word for guidance in daily living. Amen. Okay? And, uh, and so Paul says, uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, Because Jesus is still God. Okay? Um, And it is God who is at work in you. So work out your salvation, not work for. Then he says in verse 14, do all things without complaining and disputing. Man, does that convict me. I usually do what God called me to do. But they I'm, I'm honest, they should give me a PhD in complaining. I grew up in Essex County, New Jersey with the Italians. I'm half Italian. My mother's maiden name was Minichino. They are all Italians, like transplanted from Newark. Moved out of a, a, a rough city. They had some, some mafiosa relatives, too. And um, I'm telling you, it's... If you're if you wanted to become a good complainer, go to Essex County, New Jersey, man. Take notes, and um, uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, you could give uh, you can give a guy a birthday gift, an expensive birthday. He'll find some way to complain about it, you know. And um, and they're always one up at each other and complain. You know, it's like oh, such and such happened. They and the, the response is always that that's nothing. Wait till you hear what happened to me. And you can go for hours like that, one up in each other. And, uh, but don't complain. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Don't cause strife. Um, You know, we have access to the joy of the Lord. Wouldn't it be nice if others could see that in us? Okay? And, um, um, but do all things without complaining. You know, and it's, it's, it's like, you know, I teach high schoolers, but there's one class where when I'm in a weight room, another teacher has uh, middle school kids, they leave a mess, and when i got to get on the floor and clean up their mess after they're gone, and it, it can be humiliating. Um, But I got to just say, hey, I'm not going to complain. Jesus didn't complain when he washed the apostles' feet. He didn't complain when the apostles abandoned him. He didn't complain when the Jewish religious leaders who were supposed to represent Yahweh arrested him. He didn't complain when the Roman soldiers scourged him. He didn't complain when they nailed him to a cross. Oh, I gotta pick up a mess from some middle school kid that left in my room. And I think I got the right to complain. You know, you know when we when we complain, you know what we're saying? When I complain, it's like, I don't deserve this. I deserve better than this. Okay? So complaining is when you say, I deserve better than than what I'm getting. Okay? That's the anti gospel. The gospel of the good news of Jesus, if you're a believer, you're getting what you don't deserve. And you don't want what you deserve. Never cry out to God, Lord, I just want what I deserve. You know, because then God's going to reply, yeah, that place is called hell. It's the eternal lake of fire. Okay? So each and every extra day we have on this planet, just an extra blessing from the Lord. But we who deserve hell have been given heaven as a free gift through Jesus. Why complain? Why complain? Even when we, you know, I think most of us here are not only Christians, but probably constitutionalists. And we like standing up for human rights, which which are founded in the Constitution, God instituted human government to protect our rights. But even there, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, I'm not supposed to complain and stand up for my rights. I'm supposed to stand up for your rights. And you're supposed to stand up for my rights. So we should want humans to be treated like humans, but if people kick us around, Jesus said if you find the world hates you, Know, it hated, know that it hated me before it hated you. John 15, 18. Okay? God didn't promise us a rose garden or a picnic. He promised us a war. And uh, we are on the winning side, but until the king comes back to win the full victory, we're going to get knocked around a lot. Okay? And uh, so uh, so do all things without Uh, complaining and disputing I'm telling you when I'm studying the word to prepare for a sermon I'm not complaining I love that part of my job and um, when I'm preaching I'm not complaining I love that part of my job okay Um, when um, when I'm spending time with my my bride we're kicked back and we're like I love that Okay, when it's time for me to take the garbage out or confront the sinning believer, you know, there's parts that are, you just don't, God will call us to service and when he calls it a cross, that means there's going to be some aspects of it that we're not going to be real happy about. But we serve a king who does not complain and we want to be like him. So we do all things without complaining and disputing. Uh, verse uh, 15, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. In fact, look at, look at 16 and the verses after. Holding fast the word of life, So that I, says Paul, may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. And I am glad uh, and rejoice with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. And so, Paul says, look, be blameless, harmless children of God. You know, when we suffer, if you're a Christian, you're going to suffer. But don't be suffering because you deserve to suffer. You did something wrong. You should be like Job without blame. We're not perfect, but we ought to know how to repent. Okay? We ought to know how to ask for forgiveness. We ought to know how to turn from our sin." So be blameless, harmless children of God. To be harmless means you're, you're not making stumbling blocks for other Christians. You're not leading them astray. You're not doing harm for God's kingdom. Okay? And, and we, we are children of God. Uh, we've run, won the right to be children of God through the work of the Lord Jesus. Uh, John chapter 1 uh, tells us about that, verses 13, uh, 12 and 13. But be blameless, harmless children of God. And you might say, well, yeah, that's easy when I'm among people in the church. Because everybody's like that. So that's not hard. Yeah, but Paul says, be blameless, harmless children of God, where? In the midst of this perverse generation. Okay? We now live in a perverse generation. Ancient, the ancient pagans, man, they at least had an excuse because most of the ancient pagans never even heard of the word of God. Here we got Western civilization America and Europe. We've had the word of God. It's prospered us so much, and now we want to trash it. We want to kick God out of our lives, and now we live in this perverse generation. And the thing we have that the ancient pagans didn't have we now have technology where government leaders and social media gurus can mess with our lives and can watch our every move. And so what does Paul say? If you, if you live in the midst of, of a perverse generation, be blameless and harmless children of God. Uh, he, he's, not saying, look, he's not saying, look, if you live in the midst of a perverse generation, make sure you fit in. He's saying if you live in the midst of a perverse generation, make sure you stick out like a sore thumb. I'm telling you, the children of God don't look normal when we're walking in the midst of the children of Satan. Okay, the line between good and evil right now is so much thicker than it has ever been in American history. So right now, it's Isaiah 520. What are those who call evil good? And good, evil. And what, is, what does God say? What do we do in the midst of this perverse generation? Be blameless, harmless children of God and shine as lights in the world. Shine as lights in the world. Look at Matthew 5, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Verses 14 to 16. And Jesus says this, talking to believers, you are the light of the world. Wait a minute. I thought Jesus in John 8, 12 said he's the light of the world. Yes, he's the light of the world. But then if you trust in Jesus for salvation, he shines his light through you. So now the church as the body of Christ becomes the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. You, you can see its light all over. Nor do they light a lamp. And by the way, you know, when you're going down, what is it, Sylvan Way? Going down towards the water. Of course, in Puget Sound, every direction is towards the water. But, um, but you're going down the hill. You go past the, the post office and the library and you go up this hill, and then you start going down. On a clear day, I used to like when we used to see the kingdom. Now you can see like Safeco Field or whatever. When they light it up, man, at night, you can see those lights on a clear day. We don't get a whole lot of clear days. But it's the same with Jesus saying, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor Nor did they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Um, see, Jesus is saying you're not supposed to be a secret agent Christian. You're supposed to shine your light. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. So you got when you serve others, you got to let others know I'm serving you in the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm just doing this because I'm a representative of my King. Okay. And um, so, uh, as you serve others, if you're serving others, if you're serving others, and you start getting all the praise, you got to stop things right there and explain what's going on. You got to tell people, look, look, hey, don't don't thank me. You don't even want to know who I was before Jesus came into my life. Okay. Anything good that could be said about me or about you, those are the changes Jesus is making in our lives. Okay? Even the talents we had before we were saved, we weren't using it for God's glory. And if we were using it to do good for mankind, it's just because we wanted to look good before mankind. You know, I'm telling you, when Christians freed the hungry... I'm telling you, when somebody's starving and you feed them, the attitude of worship comes out. Amen. Yes. And so when Christians feed the hungry, people are saying, man, you saved me. You put food in my belly. I want to worship you. And we say, no, 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 no. Don't worship me. Worship the Lord. Amen. He sent me and empowered me and prospered me to do this. Okay. That's why government welfare is so bad. Because when the government feeds the hungry and people get that attitude of worship and they want to worship the state, the state says, bring it on. Bring it on. The state is not pointing people to Jesus. The church is. But we got to make sure when we shine as lights in the dark world, that God gets the glory. And then in verse 17, we're told, holding fast the word of life, um, we cannot compromise God's perfect word. We cannot compromise God's perfect word. There is possibly the world's leading defender of the Christian faith right now has written a book where he embraces evolution that God used evolution and that uh, God, it, kind of the first 11 chapters of Genesis are a blending of mythology with history, okay? And, um, and so um, you have this blending of mythology with history, so God did not form Adam from the dust of the ground Uh, He did not breathe life into his nostrils. Um, He did not form Eve from his side. They both evolved from subhumans. And then the human race came from them. So he says he believes in a historical Adam and Eve, but he doesn't believe that the Genesis account was meant to be taken literally. And um, uh, as far as I, I can see... That's not holding fast the word of life. If you right now and bread decide, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna water down the first eleven chapters of Genesis and start embracing evolution, that might win you a few friends, but that's not how you shine your light in a perverse generation in a dark world. Okay. And, And by the way, I don't think Christians win respect by watering down our own faith and watering down the scriptures. There's actually a lot of non-believers who really respect Christians who don't water down uh, God's word. And uh, so uh, don't compromise God's perfect word. And then Paul says in verses 17 and 18, rejoice, he wants to... Philippians to rejoice with Paul in spiritual victories. When you have a spiritual victory, I should rejoice with you. When I have a spiritual victory, you should rejoice with me. You know, we're not competing against each other. It's not like, oh, why does his Bible study have nine people and mine only had seven? You know, um, no, we're serving the same King. So, seventeen and eighteen, yes, and as and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice in service of your faith. He's saying, look, if they do kill me, I'm in prison. If they do kill me, which they didn't, they ended up releasing him. Um, uh, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And, um, and, and he's, he's saying, too, in uh, verse 16, I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. And then he says, for the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul says, look, rejoice with me in spiritual victories, my spiritual victories, your spiritual victories. The day of Christ Jesus, that's when Jesus returns. And Paul says, I hope that I have not run in vain. What he's talking about is his ministry with the Philippians. I hope that on the day of Christ, I won't find out that I was wasting my time on you because you didn't really believe. You weren't really serious about serving Jesus. Um, so Paul says, I hope I've not run in vain. I hope you Philippians will persevere in the faith and grow in Christ, and then Paul could say, even if I die here in prison, uh, I still rejoice with you, okay? So Paul gives us a lot of instruction about how to be obedient humble, and humble servants, and then he gives us two examples of obedient, humble service. One is Timothy. Look at uh, verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, and I also may be encouraged that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. So, I'm going to send Timothy, and Timothy's going to give me a report, and I know it's going to be encouraging because you Philippians are are sold out um, for the Lord. So, Paul says he's going to soon send Timothy. Now, If you want to find out about Timothy, just whether online or get one of the big old Strong's Concordance, look up Timothy. He's written about all over the book of Acts. Uh, Starts out in chapter 16. After Paul gets in an argument with Barnabas and doesn't want to take John Mark with him on the second missionary journey because John Mark wimped out on the first one, I think Paul felt a little guilty and he found a young guy and uh, the young guy was half-Jewish, half-Greek. His name was Timothy. And Paul even got the guy circumcised because he had a Jewish parent, and the Jews in the area wouldn't listen to him on spiritual matters if he wasn't circumcised. If he was fully Greek, Paul's coming from the Jerusalem Council, Paul would have said, uh, no, we don't, we don't circumcise Gentiles. Gentiles don't have to become Jews to be saved. But because he was half-Jewish, Paul had him circumcised, and then he, began, he became like a spiritual son to Paul. And you find Timothy being faithful throughout the book of Acts. You, Paul even wrote First and 2 Timothy to him. When Paul was about to die in his second Roman imprisonment, he got a letter out to Timothy. Tell him not to be afraid. God's empowered you for the work that he's called you to do. Throughout the book of Acts, we see Timothy. Timothy is mentioned over and over again. Paul, even I mean, at the start of this letter, greeting Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Uh, either Timothy co authored some of Paul's letters, or Paul's just saying, He's right here by my side. Okay? And, um,. Powerful warrior with the Lord. We find out from Paul's letters to him, the guy had stomach issues. Paul told him, drink a little bit of wine with your food. Don't drink water only because of your stomach issues. Um, but, uh, but Paul said, look, I'm, I'm soon going to send Timothy to Philippi. Let me, let me tell you, too, when Paul says he's going to send Timothy somewhere, I mean, the only thing better than that would be a Paul. Showed up himself. This is this is his protege. Look, he says verse 20 in Philippians 2, for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. And he's like-minded. He's Paul's protege. Paul saying, the next best thing to me going and visiting you is by sending this obedient, humble servant named Timothy. Verses 21 and 22. For all seek their own. So even guys that were serving the Lord with Paul, a lot of them, it was just like, oh man, I'm, I'm going to get hurt if I'm here, and they'd start fleeing. Not Timothy. And Paul, he'll name a few guys in his letters. Timothy, Luke, uh, John Mark did, made a big turnaround. He didn't wimp out anymore. Wrote the Gospel of Mark. Um, but uh, he'll let you know, you know, the guys who stayed faithful. But Timothy was one of those. He had proven character. He served Jesus and he put others first. 21 and 22, For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus, but you know his, Timothy's, proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. And so he's saying that um, Timothy was his spiritual son. Verses 23 and 24, Therefore, I hope to send them at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. In other words, if things go well, I get released, the two of us will come. If I don't get released, I'll send him right away. If I don't get released right away, I'll send him right away. But I trust in the Lord, verse 24, but I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. And, uh, and so Paul hopes to be released so he can also visit Philippi with Timothy. But Timothy is an example of humble service. You want to learn more about Timothy, just get a strong concordance out and read everything the Bible has to say about Timothy. Powerful servant uh, of the Lord. But he mentions another guy, Epaphroditus, uh, in verses 25 to 30. Let's read verses 25 to 30. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but you're the Philippians' messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all, you know, he he was from Philippi, he loved the Philippians, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. So Epaphroditus got really sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death, We've people in this church that know about what that's like. Being sick almost to the point of death with, this, with COVID running around and things of that sort. We've had to say goodbye to some of our loved ones. And some of us, our health, we battled and, and God brought us through. Um, for indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him. And no, not only on him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So Paul was saying, I needed this guy. I was all alone except for this guy, Epaphroditus. Okay? Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, sent him to Philippi, that when you see him again, he might have even sent them for all I know with, the, with this scroll, with this letter. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him Therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men. There's other guys just as on fire for the Lord as Epaphroditus. Hold such men in esteem. Because of the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Now he was saying that, you know, these, uh, these Philippians they really went out of their way to help, uh, help out Paul by sending money and donations and stuff and, and keep him going. At the same time, um, they weren't able to go out and visit him. Epaphroditus was. okay, and, um, and so he was a Philippian Christian sent to Paul with donations from them. He brought uh, a gift from them. Paul calls him brother, fellow worker. Can you imagine being a colleague of the Apostle Paul, fellow soldier? He's saying, "Man, this guy's is, is not a spiritual wimp. This guy's in the battle with me. I can rely on this guy because this guy will fight the good fight." And uh, and then Paul calls him messenger, and you know he ministered to Paul. But Paul calls him, uh, he says, but your messenger. The word in the Greek is actually apostle, apostolon. Now, keep in mind, apostle means one sent forth with a message with the authority of the one who sent him. And for Paul, he was a first-level apostle because he was sent forth like the original apostles, he was sent forth by Jesus, with Jesus' authority. Um, now, I don't know if Paul means here that he was sent by the Philippians to be their messenger to Paul about how they were doing, or if if he had some authority over the Philippians that Paul used him to pastor the Philippians. And, uh, but whatever the case... Uh, he, was a, he would minister to Paul, but a messenger sent from Philippi to Paul. And Epaphroditus longs to see the Philippians again. He misses them. They heard that he was sick and that he nearly died. He suffered for the cause of the gospel. You know, I used to think that the only way you could suffer for the cause of the gospel um, was if you got beat up or imprisoned for preaching Jesus or you lost your job, or something along those lines, okay? Um, it turns out that, you know, I, I, I learned there's a whole other dimension to this when I saw Dr. Norman Geisler. You know, he died when he was like about 86, 87 years old. A few years before he died, he had this policy. He would never, he lived in North Carolina. He, would, he stopped speaking on the West Coast because the five-hour flights were just killing him. But he loved Carl Payne and Carl Payne's conference so much. A conference that comes every April, I'll be speaking at it again this year. And so I was speaking at the conference and Dr. Geisler was too. And, um, but in between talks I was talking with people and all and then I went to see how Dr. Geisler was doing and I just saw him sitting down and I realized this guy, he can't even stand right now. He's got no energy. He's a, a battered warrior for Christ. These long trips are killing him. Speaking five, six times at a conference, and um, um, so you got to understand that sometimes, sometimes our suffering for Christ is, is not just getting beat up on, but maybe it's going that extra mile through the power of the Holy Spirit. That we don't want to burn ourselves out. Okay. We need rest. Um, At the same time, there are some warriors for the Lord, some missionaries that are out there right now that are serving Jesus. You know, they're not doing 40-hour work weeks. They're working 60, 70, 80-hour work weeks. Don't get me wrong, too, because I'm at a point in my ministry I have to learn how to... My doctors have told me I have to learn how to say no. You can't say yes all the time. In fact, it's, it's a lack of faith if you think you have to say yes all the time when it comes to serving Jesus, because what you're acting like, if God wants to get something done, he can only do it through you. There's no other godly guys or godly gals that you can delegate this authority to? And um, the apostles realized that right on. They couldn't feed elderly widows. They said, we've got to devote ourselves to the word of God in prayer. And so um, they selected seven deacons to oversee the, the feeding of the, uh, the widow. So I'm not saying burn yourself out, but I'm saying even when you do what God's called you to do and even not more, even there's gonna be a certain amount of suffering there. you know. And uh, I wanna keep my blood pressure low, but I found out when I'm sitting down, relaxing, watching a football game, unless it's the Raiders and they're losing, Uh, my blood pressure stays low when I'm a couch potato, okay? But when I check my blood pressure, I'm in the midst of serving Jesus. It's like it gets a little high. Well, it's like, hey, you know, sometimes you got to say nobody lives forever. But God didn't put me on his planet to take up space. He's called me to be a warrior. He's called you to be a warrior. And I'd see Dr. Geisler suffering for the cause of the gospel and I, I, other, there are other preachers and godly Christian leaders that, you know, they're not in it for the money and they're out there serving and giving 100%. And, uh, but this guy, Epaphroditus, suffered for the cause of the gospel, but God healed him. And, and Paul tells the Philippians to hold Epaphroditus in high esteem. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but, you know, I kind of wonder how many of us knew Epaphroditus existed before we walked into church today? And we might have read through the whole Bible five or six times, but you just see it's like, man, I can't pronounce that name. I'm just going to pass over that, okay? And yet Paul in God's Word says, look, guys like Epaphroditus you need to hold in high esteem. Is that what we do today? I'm telling you, we, we're more likely to hold our favorite athlete or our favorite movie star in higher esteem than godly men and women that are out there serving Jesus. You know? And... um you know, often a lot of you here, when you're serving Jesus, using the gifts that God's given you, nobody's watching you. And you don't get an applaud. The applause, the, nobody claps. Nobody says, great job. Okay, I could brag on Chuck a little. Chuck's not here today. When Chuck gets underneath somebody's car, fixes an a, a elderly widow's car and doesn't ask for a dime. Okay? That doesn't make him famous. I mean, I'm going to kind of contradict that today, but you know, people don't point him out and say, yeah, that's him. That's the, the guy I was talking about. That's the celebrity who fixes widow's cars when nobody's looking. Those guys don't become celebrities. We Christians in America, we often view the world, we view reality the same way the world does. And we got to turn that around. we got to look up to men and women of God and hold them in high regard, not some blaspheming football player because he knows how to throw a football. Okay? And, um, and so Paul tells the Philippians, hold Epaphroditus in high esteem. I'm, I'm telling you, if this guy had any, was preaching any heresy or was living in sin, Paul be the first one to say, hey, kick the guy out of your church, or discipline him, or whatever. And he says, no, hold Epaphroditus in high esteem. Okay? Um, sometimes you're getting tired, and you're serving Jesus, and you feel like nobody's noticing. Paul tells us in the great chapter on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, that because Jesus rose from the dead and conquered death, that the work we do in the Lord is not in vain. God's watching. Gets right back to obey the Lord even when no human is watching. God's watching. God notices. We don't do things for the glory of men. We, we do things for the glory of God. But Epaphroditus, Paul said, hold them in high, high esteem. I don't think there's any Epaphroditus fan clubs out there today. So some of you right now are a little bit burnt out. You've been serving Jesus, and your coworkers and non-believers. Maybe they've been making fun of you. Maybe they've been looking down on you. Maybe you got family members who aren't believers. And they're giving you a hard time. And you feel like throwing in the towel. Let me tell you, if you're an obedient, humble servant, Paul, inspired by God, would say you ought to be held in high esteem. Okay? And so who matters? The world's view of you, the world's opinion, or God's truth? The world has its opinions. God has his truth. And so this guy, Epaphroditus, was a true warrior for Christ, willing to risk his life and his health for Jesus, he like timothy is an example of humble service so in conclusion be united in christ put jesus first another second always work out your salvation with fear and trembling we don't play games with jesus okay if you're on a green bay packers and vince lombardi was your coach you would serve Vince Lombardi on the football field with fear and trembling. You didn't want to get a penalty called on the Packers because of you and then go and have to talk to Vince Lombardi. I'm telling you, our God is more powerful than Vince Lombardi. So don't play games with Jesus. Take your walk with the Lord more serious than you take your, your career or anything else. Uh, do all things without complaining. I'm sure Epaphroditus could have complained with his sickness and all. Do all things without complaining. Remember, Jesus took the cross of Calvary and didn't complain. Shine the light of Christ in this dark world. If you tell me how dark America is right now, I will agree with you. It, it is getting ugly. But that just means the urgency for us to shine our light is, uh, is greater now than it was before. Never compromise God's word. The, the, you know, in, our, in, a, in a, the evangelical churches attempt to find common ground with the world, we've actually become the world, and now we have nothing to offer them. So yeah, try to find common ground. Non-believers are created in God's image. They're fallen. Okay? There's a lot we have in common. Find that common ground, but never do it by compromising God's word. Never compromise God's word. And so follow the example of godly saints and be willing. Do all things without complaining. Be willing to suffer for Christ, for the cause of, of his gospel. You know, Paul tells the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 5.15, and he died for all, Jesus died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on your behalf. You want to be an obedient, humble servant, live for Jesus. Be willing to suffer for the cause of the gospel. Jesus died for you. Least you can do is live for him. So it's my prayer that we would be united in Christ, that we would put others' needs before our own, and, um, that we would live for Jesus and not ourselves. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I thank you, Lord, for the people that are here today and the people that come to our church, that there's still a remnant, that uh, they're not looking for anything fancy. They're just hungry for your truth. They're hungry for your word. And so I pray, Lord, that you would empower us all to shine your light in the midst of a dark, dark world. That you would empower us all uh, to be humble, to be obedient. That we would work out our salvation in fear and trembling, knowing that you, the triune God, is at work in our hearts and at work in us. And so I just pray, Lord, that we'd be willing to live and suffer and even die if need be for the cause of the gospel, the good news of salvation through Jesus. Lord, I pray we all acknowledge that we're sinners, we cannot save ourselves, and that we would trust in your Son, the Lord Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead to conquer death for us, that we would acknowledge that we're sinners, we can't save ourselves, and that we would trust in the Lord Jesus alone for salvation. And remind us, Lord, that when your son returns, that because he has conquered the grave, the work, the Holy Spirit-empowered work that we do for your kingdom has not been done in vain. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. All right, God bless you, everybody. Any special announcements? No special announcements. God bless you all. And uh, have a, have a nice week. Don't forget the Bible studies.